when we turn now to the time as God proclaims to us his word, and we will be using the letter to Philemon, maybe a, a small little letter that's in our New Testament. And if you would turn with me now to the letter of Philemon. This is a text that uh, I have been preaching through in my internship uh, in the church in Naples, Florida, where I am living currently with my wife and my two girls. And it's been a, a joy to preach through this text. It prevents, presents us with some significant challenges of how we think about forgiveness and living in a world where forgiveness is hard to come by. And to help us, before we dive into our text this morning, I want to give a little introduction to this letter since we'll be diving into the middle of it together. The letter is a companion to the letter of Colossians. Paul sends the letter of Colossians together with this letter to Philemon to the church that's in Colossae. And in the the letter of Colossians, as many of you know, is addressed to the whole church and also to another church in that region. And then this letter here is a companion along with it. And we learn of a couple people in this letter. We learn of Philemon, who is likely the man who the church meets in his house. And there is another man, his name is Onesimus, who was Philemon's slave, who, as we learn in this letter, likely was a runaway slave. And then there is Paul, and additionally there are Philemon's sister, Atphia, who many believe is uh, Philemon's sister, and then the whole church is addressed. So this letter, while it's directed in the main body of the letter to Philemon himself, this is a letter that is for the whole church, and Paul intends for the whole church in Colossae, and for all of us here this morning, to learn from this instruction that he gives to Philemon about forgiveness and what it means to let go of wrongs that have been done to us. So with that in mind, let's turn now to verses 15 to pick up where he instructs now Philemon of what he would like for him to do. Verse 15, hear now the word of the Lord. For this, perhaps, is why he, Onesimus, was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, Charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. To say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Thus ends the reading of the word of the Lord. Let's go to him in prayer and ask for his blessing on our time. Our Father in heaven, we come to you, the God who speaks, and it comes into existence. And Lord, we turn to you now, knowing that you speak to us through your word and through the preaching of your word. We pray now that your Holy Spirit would open our, the hearts and our minds to understand what is given to us in this text this morning. Lord, I pray that you would prepare us even now to receive your word and that you would make it fruitful in our hearts. 
that we would come to you in faith and obedience. And Lord, that you would work into us through this preaching what is pleasing in your sight. We ask that you would do this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. I wonder for many of you if you have ever had a scenario in your life where a prodigal, a person who has run away, messed up their life, has come home. Somebody who you may have loved and cared for, and they hurt you. They either said things to you, they did things to you, that you think this is a thing that is very hard to ignore. In fact, I'm certain that this has happened to many of you. And that presents to us a situation where we need to think about how do we forgive somebody who has hurt us? How do we respond in those moments? How do we think when other people hurt us? And they come back to us and they say, I'm sorry for what I've done. Our hearts want to hold on to those things. It's hard to let go of when we're hurt. Oftentimes they have larger impacts. Other people know about what that person has done to us. And there's shame that comes along when other people hurt us. Well, that's a situation that Philemon himself finds himself in in this text this morning. Philemon was uh, likely a wealthy man. He held a church meeting in his house, which means he had property. He had a home. He owned slaves, um, among which Onesimus is one of them. And so for him to have a slave who owed him money, ran away, and wronged him publicly was no small matter, not just for him, but also for this church. And so now he's being presented as Paul sends Onesimus, a man who was an unconverted sinner, now has been converted to the Lord Jesus Christ. See, Onesimus, we learn, had parted, had left his master, which was a crime in that time that was punishable even with death. And he had fled, and somehow in his journey, in his running away from his master, encountered Paul in prison. Now, we don't know if Onesimus himself was in prison, that the guards captured him, a runaway slave, or if he got his life turned around and knew of Paul and ended up meeting him later. Paul and and Philemon had a relationship, and it's possible that Onesimus knew of Paul before this. But however it happened, Onesimus encounters Paul, and through the ministry of Paul, Paul converts Onesimus to become a child of God, tells him of the salvation that's in Jesus Christ. And now Paul, finding Onesimus to be a useful man in ministry, sends him back to his master to do the right thing. Paul knows that Onesimus doesn't belong to him. Onesimus belongs to Philemon. But Paul cares for Onesimus. He has seen the change that has occurred in Onesimus' life from a man who was described in in this text as useless, probably a slave who laid around on the job, was the water cooler man standing by the water cooler and having all kinds of comments when everybody else was doing their work. But now he's become a useful servant in the kingdom of God. And Paul wants this man to continue to serve him. But he can't keep him for himself. So he sends him back to Philemon with the hopes of having Philemon release his slave and send him back to Paul to serve him. 
But there is this great issue of how do we deal with the sin of Onesimus and his folly. Well, the text this morning begins with something that's very interesting. It says, For this, perhaps, is why he was parted. Now, this is a passive verb for you English, English students who like the English language and understand all those things, that this means that somebody else did the action. Now, Philemon would read this when he's, or hear this letter read, and he said, would say to Paul, um, Paul, I think you're confused. Philemon, or Onesimus, he wasn't parted, he parted. He is the one who left. But Paul sees in Onesimus' leaving something else at work. That in fact, Onesimus is leaving, somebody else parted them. That Onesimus is leaving is ultimately somebody else acting in this. But we see that this was a foolish action on the part of Onesimus. That he had run away from his master, a crime in that period punishable by death. It's possible that he even stole when he ran away. The text tells us that he had wronged Philemon and that he owed him money. That's how you got out of debt in that time period. Today, we can take out money from the bank. But in that time, if you needed to get out of debt, you would sell yourself into slavery and work it off in that way. Not only was he somebody who was a a thief and irresponsible, but he was likely self-centered. As the text tells us earlier in Philemon, that he was useless. And as I've mentioned, that he was somebody that didn't do his job. He was laying around on the job. Somebody that I'm sure Philemon wasn't all too sad about his leaving, thinking, well, if he didn't really contribute to my home anyway, then let him go. He's not a good slave anyway. He doesn't do his job. But here's the plight of Onesimus. He must come back and face the folly of his past life. God has turned him around. He has heard of the forgiveness that's in Jesus Christ. That when he was running away, that he understood that God could forgive all of his sins. Every wrong that he had ever done. And he hears about the salvation that God would wipe away all of his sins before his sight, and he would become now no longer a slave of man, but a child of God. That allows him to confront his past. But facing our past is a difficult thing. Often our past is haunting. When we think back on our past, and particularly our youth, there are sins in our past that we don't ever get over. They always stick with us. They bubble up in our mind at times where we think, I wish I could just get that memory gone. I don't suppose that it's very different for Onesimus returning to his master, looking at the man face to face whom he ran away from. And possibly Onesimus is thinking to himself, what good can have come from my running away, from my shirking my responsibility? And putting that onto somebody else. And we may ask that of our own sin in our life. What good could come out of this? It's irredeemable, we think. Those circumstances in life just seem to weigh over us and we wish they would just go away. But as Paul shows here, he sees something else at work even in Onesimus' leaving. 
that perhaps God is at work. Perhaps God is also at work in the midst of Onesimus' sin. And it's behind this simple verb, this passive verb, where somebody else is acting, is an eternity of God's sovereign plan and God's providence and how he directs our lives and those who come to him. See, only God can use an event that was born out of evil in our hearts and use it for his good. That God ultimately can bring something beautiful out of something that to us looks only hideous. Now, this does not lessen the gravity and weight of our sin. We are responsible for the choices that we make and the sin that we walk into in our lives. Just as Onesimus was, that Onesimus owns his sin. It's likely that Onesimus confessed to Paul that he was a useless slave, and that's how Paul knows that he was a useless slave. And Paul admits that he will be willing to take on Onesimus' debts, as we read. It doesn't lessen the consequences or our responsibility for sin. But it ultimately shows us that we are not the sovereign ones. But this is the hope that we have as Christians. The wonderful encouragement to us is that God is sovereign over all the events of our lives. That even in the most terrible of circumstances of our past, that God can use those things for his good and for his glory. Perhaps this is why he was parted from you that you may have him back now, no longer as a slave, but as a beloved brother. Paul sees that God is at work even in the midst of Onesimus' sin. And this is reminiscent of another passage in, in Scripture and story of the life of Joseph. A man who we know in the book of Genesis had older brothers, 10 of them in fact, who sought to sell Joseph, to, who actually sought to kill him. They conspired against their brother, threw him down in a pit, and were going to leave him for dead. And one of his brothers stood up and thought, maybe this isn't the best plan. I don't like Joseph, but let's at least just keep him alive, but we'll sell him into slavery into Egypt. Now Joseph's brothers conspired to kill him, and then they sold their brother into slavery. But something strange happens in the life of their brothers. Decades go by, likely mourning their brother, thinking, what have we done, carrying this weight of their sin for decades. And then a famine strikes in their homeland, and they must go to Egypt to find food. And so they go to Egypt to find relief from the famine that they're experiencing. And when they come through a series of events, they come to learn that this brother whom they sold into slavery is now the second most powerful man in Egypt, the world's superpower at that time. And they come, the ones who sold their brother into slavery are now begging from their brother for food. It is a complete reversal and turn of events 
And through this, God opens their eyes to the sin that they have committed against their brother. And they confess their sin to him. Genesis 50 says, The brothers say to Joseph, Please forgive the transgressions of your brothers and their sin, because we did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgressions of the servants of the God of your father. They show that they believe in the same God that Joseph believes in. And they confess what they've done is wrong to him. But what does Joseph say to his brothers? Does Joseph say, tough luck, no food for you guys. You sold me into slavery. You tried to kill me. You left me for dead. You sold me off to a foreign country. I have not seen my father, my brother, my family, nobody. Does he hold it against them? No, he does not hold it against them. The text tells us again shortly after that his brothers came down before him and they fell and said, behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. See, Joseph sees that in the event of his brother's sins, that they meant it for evil, just as Onesimus meant it for evil, to run away from his responsibilities, to turn away from what he owed his master, that God meant it for good. And that's what Paul is alluding to here. Perhaps This is why he was parted from you. And this is the great promise that we as Christians have as those who do sin and we do mean evil at times and many times more than we would like to admit. But the great promise is that Romans 8, 28, that those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And this is the hope that we have as Christians today. That even our evil, God can work in the midst of that and use it for his good. Now, we don't understand the ways that he works. It is a mystery to us. Joseph doesn't understand how it works. He knows that it does. Paul even admits this, perhaps. But that is the hope that we as Christians have. That we don't despair over our past sins. That God can do something beyond what we can imagine with our past. So if you are here today and you have a history of sin in your life, that you think, what good can God bring from this? This little verb today, he was parted, is a message of hope for us. That God can use all things in our life for his good, even the things that we do for evil. But evil has consequences. Evil has effects in this life. And that's why we are afraid of doing them and thinking about them. That there is a cost of sin. And that's what we would like to look at this morning in our second point, is that there is a cost to forgiveness that there is something that must be done when evil is committed. 
that Paul tells us, if you would consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. See, Paul knew that to ask Philemon to send Onesimus back to him meant that Philemon was going to have to absorb the wrong that Onesimus did. Paul is going to ask him to do something, and that means that Philemon says, well, he's wronged me. This slave has wronged me. He owes me money, and if I'm going to send him back to you, who is going to pay off his debts? You are implying, Paul, that I'm going to pay off these debts. And we know how this works. We don't like to have to pay off the debts of people who owe us money. We don't like to pay off the debts when people borrow things and then they break it. We try to keep the smile on, but oftentimes if it's something valuable to us, it's a difficult thing. And it can even strain relationships. And Paul knows this. Paul knows what it's going to cost Philemon to release his slave. So Paul offers to take the burden on himself. Paul says two things. The first thing he says is, receive him as you would receive me. The Greek here is quite literally, receive him as me. Now, when you're a kid, you understand this when your parents give you the credit card for the first time to go to the store to buy something. And you feel like you have the world because in one sense, you are representing your parents' bank account with that credit card or that debit card. And you feel this extraordinary power because you think, I can do things that I wouldn't normally be able to do. Or sometimes you get invited to somewhere special. Maybe it's to a dinner with a politician or a significant person in a position of authority or power. And you go and sit at their table with them at the dinner. And you know that if that person, somebody else, mistreats you, that it's not just an offense against you. It's an, event, an offense against the person who invited you. I had a similar circumstance in my life. When I was 18 years old, my brothers encountered a man on the beach when they lost their keys to their car, and through a series of events, he said, well, I'll get this taken care of for you guys. We'll get a key maker out here. And turns out this man had season tickets to the San Diego Padres, a baseball team in San Diego. And my brother, he said, would you guys like tickets to these games? And they said, sure, why not? And so this man gave my brothers tickets to the baseball games. And I remember the first time I went with them, and we had, I had no idea where this was. It said field level. Now, that didn't mean, may not mean a whole lot to you, but when you go into the baseball game, you walk in, and you realize you're on the lowest level of the, of the baseball field. These are expensive tickets. And as I walked out, we kept walking closer and closer to the field until we are one row back from the baseball field. And these are some of the best seats that you can have in the whole place. This man had given a 22-year-old, a 20-year-old, and an 18-year-old his best baseball tickets. And I was, I'm a surfer, and I had long blonde hair at the time and was a ratty guy wearing ratty clothes. And you can imagine the looks on these other people's faces who are sitting there in this stadium when they see these young 20-year-olds and, and teens walking down and to sit in these really nice seats. And they say, are you guys in the right seat? Are you sure in the right place? And I said, well, well, Greg, Mr. Meyer, he's the one that gave us the tickets. And they say, oh, you know Greg. How do you meet him? And we told them this story. And, then, and everybody treated us like totally different people because they understood that 
Greg was representing us, that he is the one who sent us. And so we were treated as completely different people because of who represented us. So he says, receive him as you would me. This is what Paul is asking Philemon to do. Not simply to treat him like a normal person, to treat Onesimus like the Apostle Paul, the most important person in Christendom at that time. But the second thing that he asks him to do is, if he has wronged you or owes you anything, charge that to my account. What Paul is doing here is he is offering Onesimus freedom. He's telling Philemon to free his slave. Paul is saying, I will pay off his debts. Any wrong that he's done to you, attribute to that to me. I'm already in jail. I can pay it off here in jail. But Paul is doing something more in this. He is asking Philemon to trade Onesimus' place with Paul. Paul is offering to trade places with a slave. A man who has, in his mind, only done wrong. I will take on all his wrongs, all his debts, and you can treat him as if he were me. And I imagine this would have had a drastic effect on Philemon's heart. The willingness of Paul the Apostle to take the place of this seemingly useless slave? What's going on in Philemon's heart when he hears Paul offer to do this? But there's a problem here. What if Philemon agrees? What if Philemon says, yes, Paul, you can pay off all of his debts and you can sit in jail for what he owes me or how the way he's wronged me. And then we'll, the, the transaction is done. The deed is done. Onesimus is free and he, you're going to pay his debts. I'll take you up on that offer. Is that what Paul wants from Philemon? A mere transaction. Justice, as we would say. Is that what Paul is looking for? No. Paul does not want compliance. He does not want Philemon to simply say, okay, Paul, I will do, I'll do what you asked. Take the debts, pay it off, and then we're done. And, and Onesimus can go be with you. That's not what Paul wants. Paul does not want compliance. He wants Philemon's goodness. He wants goodness from Philemon because ultimately that is what God wants from Philemon's heart. That is what God wants from all of our hearts. See, God does not just want some kind of external conformity. A mere simple transaction. He wants love in our hearts that issues forth in goodness. And that is what Paul wants from Philemon. God wants our hearts to seek after what is good and to desire what is good. Because loving another is what is good. Ultimately, Paul wants Philemon to act out of love. Or as he prays in verses 4 through 7, that he wants him to show fellowship. 
or the sharing that comes from his faith. That is what Paul prayed for, and now he is asking for him to do that. And so that is why Paul says to him, to say nothing of your owing me even your own self. Paul says, look, Philemon, my good friend, who has been a refreshment to me, if this is going to be a mere transaction, if this is simply going to be a matter of simple justice, then you owe me your whole life. Paul probably led Philemon to the Lord. And so Paul says, brother, you owe me everything. In fact, Paul is reversing the situation that he is in essence saying, you, I could treat you as my slave. But I don't demand that from you, brother. Because I love you. Because I care for you. And I want what is best for you. And Paul showed ultimately, I am willing to trade places with this slave. What are you willing to do, Philemon? What are you willing to do? What is going to come from your heart? He wants Philemon to act out of love. And Paul wants this whole church, and he wants all of us to act out of love. He wants us to have a heart that says, I am willing to lay down my life for others, to set aside my rights, to set aside justice, to do what is best for somebody else. But why would Paul do this? Why would he, one of the most significant men in Christianity at that time, be willing to take the place of a slave? Why would he be willing to offer himself in this way? Because Paul knew the cost of forgiveness. Paul knew what it cost for him to be forgiven of his own sin. Paul knew himself as a debtor. Paul knew that he was also a slave. Paul knew that he also owed a debt to God. And he wrote this very thing in the letter to Colossians knowing of the debt that we all have to God and what God has done in Jesus Christ to forgive us of those debts. Colossians chapter 2 says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. See, Paul was willing to do this for Onesimus because Paul knew what God had done for him. The Greek text in Colossians shows, understands canceling of debts like a papyrus. They would write on paper the debts that people owed. And the way you cancel debts is you would wash that papyrus clean of the debts. And it would be blank. And that is what Paul knows that God has done for himself. That God has wiped clean Paul's record of debts. 
And so Paul now says, I am willing to stand in the place of another to do this for him. Because I know what Jesus has done for me. That Jesus has ultimately said to his father, receive Paul as me. Something far more amazing happens in the Christian life than could ever happen in this transaction that we find here in the letter of Philemon. That when Jesus wipes our debts clean, he presents us to God as himself. That we are presented before God the Father, and the Son is saying to God his Father, receive them as me. This is why Scripture calls us sons of God. Paul is asking Philemon to do something that is just a small glimpse and picture of what it's like from what Jesus has done for us. That God the Father receives you and I like he would receive his own beloved son. And you and I, who confess our sins before God and admit that, yes, at times, or even ultimately that we are useful, that we were dead in our sins and our trespasses, that now we can stand in heaven holding the same position as Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This is why we sit on the throne with Jesus and that we will ultimately judge angels And this is what Jesus offers to all of us. But despite our sins, but despite our failures, despite the wrongs that you and I have done in our life, and all the ways that we have cast aside God, and the infinite debt that we could never repay, that Jesus washes that debt away on the cross. And not only that, that he presents us to his Father with his perfect righteousness. He is the one who has suffered for us. Paul did not ultimately have to suffer for Onesimus. Philemon did. But Jesus is the one who has suffered for our debts. And he was raised again from the dead so that he could present us to God with his perfect righteous obedience. So brothers and sisters, there is a cost to forgiveness, but we rejoice today. We rejoice because Jesus Christ has paid that cost in full. And he has given us the double grace, not just the forgiveness of sins, but the full payment of his righteousness so that we can stand before the father perfect in heaven. And even the sins that we have in our life that we cannot get over, God can even use those for his good and his glory in ways that we cannot imagine. There is a glorious truth that this passage presents to us this morning, that we serve a sovereign God. But more than that, that we serve a loving God who is willing to send his, even his own son for us.
So today, if you come here with sins on your heart and things in your life and your past, know that God can work together all things for good for you who love Jesus Christ. But also, come to him in faith. Trust in Jesus Christ. Rest in the forgiveness that he gives you. That is a full and complete payment for all of your sins. Rest in that and have the assurance that you stand before God the Father as Jesus Christ himself. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we rejoice that you have sent your son Jesus to us. This gift above all gifts that we have. And Lord, we pray that you would work faith in our hearts that we might receive Jesus Christ and rest in his perfect work for us and that we might love him and respond to him. And Lord, if there are those here this morning who don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior, I pray that you would work in their hearts that they would see him with as the hope and joy of their life. And Lord Jesus, we thank you for dying for us and for rising again for us. Father, we rejoice in the salvation that you've given to us. May we love it always. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.